In a previous sermon, we looked at the topic of a balanced life in an unbalanced world. A balanced life in an unbalanced world. Without a doubt, we do live in a world that is unbalanced. We live in a world that has rejected morality, absolute truth, human nature, and reasoning. We live in a postmodern world that believes that creeds and dogmas and doctrinal statements are way too militant. Furthermore, they, th- they believe that religion is the cause of violence in the world. And as we considered some of the various uh, philosophies such as moral relativism and cultural relativism and situation ethics and behaviorism, uh, all of these various worldly philosophies that we have to face in combat, we ask the question, how do we strike balance in an unbalanced world? How do we strike balance in an unbalanced world? So we went to the book of Ephesians in chapter 4. And we saw several ways in which we can strike the balance in an unbalanced world. We began in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And we began with the issue here. Number one way to strike balance in an unbalanced world was by studying God's word. He tells us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Now, what's interesting here is when we look there at the word therefore, he connects what he previously said, what Paul previously said, uh, which was doctrine founded upon the scripture. And therefore, based upon the scripture that we have, we can then walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And, and, And really, there is the issue as far as living a balanced life. You know, the world is unbalanced, but if we would walk worthy of our calling, we would be balanced. But it begins by studying God's Word. Notice he went on in verse chapter 4 and verse 1, Paul said, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. We saw the second manner in which we can strike the balance, and that is not only by studying the Word of God, but by suffering for Christ. By suffering for Christ. Notice that Paul refers to himself as a prisoner. He wants to remind believers, not necessarily of his physical imprisonment, but that he was a prisoner of the Lord. A prisoner of the Lord. Uh, In other words, uh, he served God. He suffered for God. And he took up his cross. And he followed Jesus daily. He made Jesus the only goal that he had in his life. Conformity to Jesus. And we noted there that the spiritual discipline that is necessary for being a prisoner of the Lord, being a prisoner of Christ. First, we have to deny ourselves. Second, we have to take up our cross. Third, we must follow Him. And so with that foundation, I'd like today to add to the topic of a balanced life in an unbalanced world. And I'd like to consider, secondly, that we need to acquire the balance. We've struck the balance by studying God's Word and by uh, suffering for Christ. 
But now we need to acquire that balance. You see, the worthy walk or a balanced life is a life that is balanced between our doctrine and our deportment, what we believe and how we live. Now, this only comes by studying God's word and suffering for Christ. But my question now is, how does it play out in our daily life, particularly living in an unbalanced world? And I believe that we can acquire the balance in an unbalanced world by practicing godly characteristics. By practicing godly characteristics. As we continue in our study of Ephesians chapter 4, we see that Paul calls on his readers to practice humility, gentleness, patience, and love. Now, each of those are godly characteristics that are not only good for us individually, but are that, that are going to also add or aid, rather, the Christian community. Grant Osborne said this, There is little place in the Bible for the individualism that so often marks American culture. Every believer is a member of the body, the church, and we are meant to live in community as a family. Let me read that again. There is little place in the Bible for the individualism that so often marks American culture. You know, there's a lot of individualism, especially, I mean, the day and age we're living in here now, it's like, you know, there's so much division, not just in the world, not just in the country, but even in the church. And there's this individualistic mindset. We've got to reject that. As, as Osborne goes on to say, every believer, every one of us, believer, is a member of the body, of the church, uh, and we're meant to live in community as a family. We need to see our fellow believers as part of the same community or part of the same family. Now, I'd like to explore these characteristics that we need to be exhibiting and exhibiting to one another. And again, we're going to pick up in verse 2 of Ephesians 4. And the first characteristic that we see that is necessary to acquire the balance in an unbalanced world is by practicing humility. By practicing humility. Look at verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another. See, the first step here in acquiring balance in the day-to-day of life is by practicing humility. Now, the word humility there, tapenofrasune, refers to a lowliness of mind. Regarding this idea of lowliness or humility, William MacDonald says that a genuine humility that comes from association with the Lord Jesus Lowliness makes us conscious of our own nothingness and enables us to esteem others better than ourselves. It is the opposite of conceit and arrogance. So with all humility, with the opposite of conceit and arrogance, that's how we're to be. We're not to be arrogant. We're not to be conceited. We need to be conscious of our nothingness. You know, if you look at the book of Matthew in chapter 5, in the eight characteristics that are listed there of a kingdom citizen, it says poor in spirit. And then those who are poor in spirit are what? It goes on and says that they mourn. And those that mourn are what? They're gentle or humble. And we're to be practicing humility. Additionally, John MacArthur states regarding this word, he says... Tapeno frosune, or humility, 
is a compound word that literally means to think or judge with lowliness, hence to have lowliness of mind. John Wesley observed that neither the Romans nor the Greeks had a word for humility. The very concept was so foreign and abhorrent to their way of thinking that they had no term to describe it. Apparently, this Greek term was coined by Christians, probably by Paul himself, to describe a quality for which no other word was available. When during the first several centuries of Christianity, pagan writers borrowed the term, tape no they always used it derogatorily, frequently of Christians, because to them humility was a pitiable weakness. Now, friends, it is to be one of the most important characteristics of our life. But for the world, they don't want anything to do with humility. They don't want anything to do with lowliness of mind. Now, this humility or lowliness of mind means that we need to judge ourselves according to God's standard, according to His Word. It has to begin with confession of our sin, along with the realization of our own unworthiness in receiving God's grace. You know, Christ demonstrated what humility looks like when he washed his disciples' feet. John chapter 13, verse 13 to 15. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. It is that example of humility which we are to follow, believer. Daily we are to put on and clothe ourselves with humility. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12. So as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 1 Peter 5, 5. You younger men likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now that word put on in duo means to be filled with a quality or condition. We are to be filled with what? Humility. The word clothe, egkom boamai, means to enter into a particular state of condition. So not only are we to be filled with humility, we're to enter into humility. And both put on and clothe are in the imperative mood, the mood of command. In other words, believer, you and I, we must be endowed with humility. And we must enter into a state of humility. Now, this endowment only comes, we're only going to be endowed, we're only going to put on, we're only going to be clothed with humility by continuously comparing ourselves to God. The moment you and I compare ourselves to others, we're not going to be humble. We only become humble by comparing ourselves to God. To be clear, humility or lowliness of mind is not, is not, I'm going to listen very carefully, Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking less about yourself. I'll say it again. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking less about yourself. You see, humility then is thinking more about God and more about others than you're thinking about yourself. 
And remember that God provides grace to those who humble themselves while he opposes those who are proud. James 4, 6, he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Furthermore, service for Christ, our work for Christ, our ministry is to be performed in humility. Acts chapter 20 and verse 19. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon us through the plots of the Jews. Philippians 2, 3 to 4. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Friend, there ought to be no pride in us. Pride should have no place amongst the people of God. And you know, I'm, I'm afraid, sadly, there is such a lack of humility in the church today. There is such a desire for self-aggrandizement among those who are serving Christ. You know, we hear about these celebrity preachers. You know, that, that, that's almost an oxymoron, a celebrity preacher. You know, they're the ministers, preachers, they're, they're, they're pursuing a, a world stage so that they can have influence, so that they can, you know, be somebody. And the danger there is this. They're filled with pride. There's a desire for self-aggrandizement. There's a lack of humility. If you're serving the Lord for the purpose of drawing attention to yourself, you're not serving Christ, you're serving yourself. Is that you? Does that describe you? You know, we need to examine ourselves. We need to look at ourselves and think, okay, am I a humble person or am I a proud person? Friends, we can strike a balance between our doctrine, what we believe, and our deportment, how we live. But without humility, we will never have balance in an unbalanced world. But humility, practicing humility alone is not enough. Let us continue on in verse 2. We must also practice gentleness. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. By practicing gentleness. So we, we acquire balance by practicing humility and now by practicing gentleness. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. This is the second step in acquiring balance in the day-to-day -day of life is by practicing gentleness. Now that word gentleness, protes, means to have one's emotions under control. We could say that gentleness is strength under control. According to G.G. Finley, it is the absence of the disposition to assert personal rights, either in the presence of God or of men. So if you're gentle, you, your strength is under control. You're not asserting personal rights. Gentleness is the opposite of self-assertion, rudeness, or harshness. Again, William MacDonald states that gentleness is, is the attitude that submits to God's dealings without rebellion and to man's unkindness without retaliation. C.L. Mitten states that gentleness is the spirit of one who is so absorbed in seeking some worthy goal for the common good that he refuses to be deflected from it by slights injuries or insults directed at him personally or indeed by personal consideration 
of any kind. Also, Warren Wiersbe says in the Greek language, this word for gentleness, protes, was used for a soothing medicine, a colt that had been broken and a soft wind. In each case, you have power, but that power is under control. And my friends, just like humility, we are to daily put on gentleness like a garment. Colossians 3.12 So as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Again, put on and duo, it's that imperative mood. It means that we must be filled with a quality or condition of gentleness, of power under control. And Jesus is the chief example of this gentleness. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus had the power to cast out demons, heal the blind, deaf, and mute, and to quell storms. When he saw injustice done against God and others, he displayed power like a lion. All you have to do is look at his response to the money changers in the temple. He overturned the tables and he ran the money changers out with a whip. Matthew 21, 12 to 13, Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. But I want you to notice that when injustice was done against him, Jesus kept his power under control. Like a lamb, he went to the slaughter of the cross. Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. Friends, oftentimes in standing for the truth against the ungodliness of the world, we will stoop to arrogance, rudeness, and name-calling. And it ought not be. Friend, if, you are, if you're guilty of being arrogant or rude or name-calling in your stand for truth, you are wrong. Yes, truth must be defended. But notice we are to defend it with love and gentleness. Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 24 to 26 says, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness, protes, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Now there, that term love in Ephesians 4.15 implies having regard for a person's good. You see, when you and I are presenting the truth of God's word, that's doctrine, we must do it in a manner that seeks the good of those who hear it. If we're going to speak the truth in love, we must be spiritually mature and equipped with sound doctrine. You see, without maturity and sound doctrine, the truth becomes presented in a very cold and detached manner. And I, I, can, I, I can assure you, that when doctrine, when truth is presented in a cold or detached manner, it's because, one, there's a lack of love, agape love, and two, there's a lack of actual doctrine. Correcting those who oppose sound doctrine must be done how? With gentleness. That term gentleness in 2 Timothy 2.25 conveys the idea of courtesy and compassion. 
You see, gentleness is not being impressed with your self-importance. And the idea of correcting is, means instructing or educating or giving guidance. If we're going to correct those in error, we have to do it courteously and compassionately. If not for the grace of God, we who are doing the correcting may be the ones needing the correcting. By courteously and compassionately instructing those in error, we, they, they who we correct may come to repentance, come to their senses, and escape the devil's snare. But failure to exhibit gentleness is failure to acquire the balance in an unbalanced world. If you do not control your power like a city, you are like a city with a broken wall. Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. Proverbs 25, 28. We must be gentle. See, because a city without a wall is open to attack. A city without a wall will be destroyed. Therefore, the one who does not practice gentleness will be attacked by the world and destroyed. Striking a balance between doctrine and deportment is not enough when we're confronted with the maladies of an unbalanced world. We must practice humility. We must practice gentleness. But alone they are not enough. We must also practice patience. Again, look at verse 2 of Ephesians 4. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. The third step in acquiring balance for an unbalanced world is by practicing patience. Now, patience, macrothumia, is self-restraint before taking action. It is not retaliating when hurt by another. Lalanita states that patience is a state of emotional calm in the face of provocation or misfortune and without complaint or irritation. My friends, we are to put this on daily, like a garment, Colossians 3.12. So as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Again, that word put on and duo, it's imperative, it's a command. It means to be filled with a quality or a condition. We must be clothed and filled with the calm, with calm in the midst of provocation without complaint or without irritation. You know, it's interesting because the term patience, macrothumia, is often used as an attribute of God. And when it describes God, it means that he delays his wrath. He's long-suffering in dealing with our sin. Romans 2.4 Do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? The Theological Dictionary of the New Testament says that the wrath and the grace of God are the two poles which constitute the span of His long-suffering. On one hand, there's His wrath. On the other side, there's grace. Now, practically speaking, when we say that God is patient, it means that he is slow to anger. Ephesians 34, verse 6. The Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Because God has shown patience towards his people, we have a responsibility to show patience towards one another. 1 Timothy 1, 16. Yet for this reason I found mercy so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Listen, my friends, this world is unbalanced, it is crooked, it is perverse. And there are going to be times in such a world that we are going to be provoked. 
And our flesh wants to respond by complaining, by getting angry, by being bitter. But these believers are not, or these uh, characteristics or behaviors are not part of a balanced Christian life. Philippians 2, 14 to 15, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you can prove yourself to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. You see, those types of behaviors like complaining and bitterness and anger only produce an unbalanced life, and furthermore, it's going to put you under God's judgment. James 5, 9, Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Instead of complaining, instead of getting bitter, instead of getting angry, be patient and be slow to anger when provoked. James 1, 19, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. James 5, 7 and 8 tells us, Be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it, until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. James 5.10 tells us that we can look at the Old Testament prophets for an example. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. James 5.10 Thus and those guys were provoked and suffered a great many things. Yet they were slow to anger, and they endured to the end, James 5.11. We count those blessed who endured. So practicing patience, along with humility and gentleness, are vital parts of acquiring balance in an unbalanced world. Nonetheless, there is one more item needed. We must be practicing love. Again, look at verse 2 of Ephesians 4. With all humility and gentleness and patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. The fourth step in acquiring balance is practicing love. Showing tolerance for, anakomai, means to endure something difficult or unpleasant. As well, it conveys the idea of putting up with others, enduring the faults of others. Now, putting up with one another indicates not everybody in the body of Christ is always compatible. We're likable. Okay, listen, you know, not every believer is going to see eye to eye. Not every believer is going to like one another, but we still have to love one another, okay? William McDonald states that showing tolerance is making allowance for the faults and failures of others or differing personalities, abilities, and temperaments. It is not a question of maintaining a facade of courtesy while inwardly seething with resentment. It means positive love to those who irritate, disturb, or embarrass. Showing tolerance for combines humility, gentleness, and patience into one action. In other words, it takes humility, it takes gentleness, it takes patience to tolerate the faults of others and the differing personalities of our fellow believers. It requires stretching ourselves to respect the differences of another person. It means overlooking the differences and showing tolerance for, it means that, that may mean forgiving others of their faults and foibles. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Colossians 3.13, bearing with, anakomai, bearing with, showing tolerance for one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. My friends, we need to be daily putting on tolerance, like a garment. That again, put on, enduo, 
It means what? It means it's a command. We must be filled with it. We must be filled with it. We must clothe ourselves and fill ourselves with the characteristic of allowing for the faults and failures of others. Note that the basis for showing tolerance is what? Love. It's love. Showing tolerance for one another. John Christostom states this, The love Paul requires of us is no common love, but that love which cements us together and makes us cleave inseparably to one another and affects as great and as perfect a union as though it were between limb and limb. You know, it's interesting. In the Greek, there are four key words for love. Eros, phileia, storge, and agape. Eros is that love and passion that exists between a man and a woman. Phileia is the loving affection that exists between friends. Storge is the love that exists between family members. But agape love is different than them all. It is sacrificially seeking the highest good of someone with no expectation of anything in return. Agape love is not just an expression of your emotion, it's an expression of your volition. It's choosing to do good even towards the unlikable and unlovable. And 1 Corinthians 13 provides a beautiful snapshot of agape love. Love is patient. It doesn't retaliate when wrong. Love is kind. It responds generously to others' needs. Love is not jealous. It's not envious of what another has. Love does not brag. It does not exhibit self-importance. Love is not arrogant. It's not proud or self-conceited. Love does not act unbecomingly. It behaves according to acceptable standards of morality. Love does not seek its own. It's not self-serving, but selfless. Love is not provoked. It's not touchy. It's not irritable. It's not sensitive to slights. Love does not take into account a wrong. It does not keep a record of wrong. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. It doesn't take pleasure in another's faults or failures. Love rejoices with truth. It takes pleasure in what is true. Love bears all things. That is, and endures the unpleasant or difficult on behalf of someone else. Love believes all things. It's willing to think the best of others. Love hopes all things. It expects the best from others. Love endures all things. It withstands all circumstances with courage. And love never fails. It does not come to an end. My friends, the most exceptional example of agape love is God himself. He sacrificed his own son to redeem sinful humanity. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You know, following his example, we are to seek the highest good of others. Even those who irritate us, disturb us, and embarrass us. And the good Lord knows there's plenty of those people, if we're all honest. First Peter 4, 8, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. The term keep, echo, it's an imperative denoting a command. It means that maintaining a particular position or activity, we're to maintain fervency in our love for one another. That word fervent, ectanes, means to be marked by care and persistent effort. We're to be carefully and persistently maintaining love for one another. And this is why Paul prayed that we would be rooted and grounded in love. Ephesians 3.17 So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love. My friends, the worthy walk is a life balanced between doctrine and deportment. And striking a balance between doctrine and deportment comes only 
by studying God's Word and suffering for Christ. Living amidst the unbalance of postmodernism's new morality, of moral relativism, cultural relativism, situation ethics, and behaviorism is not easy. But if we, be, if we succumb to this new morality, we will exhibit pride, we'll exhibit insensitivity, we'll exhibit impatience, and it'll finally emanate itself in hate. The balance needed to live amidst the unbalanced will only be acquired as we practice four godly characteristics. Humility, gentleness, patience, and love. Examine yourself. Take a moment. Look at yourself. And consider whether these characteristics are in you and if they're abounding. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, Lord, we just thank and praise you for our time to spend in your word and to, again, consider Ephesians 4 and in, in, in light of trying to be balanced in an unbalanced world. And Father, I pray that uh, you might continue to help us in, in our striving to study your word and to suffer for Christ. And now, Father, to those, we've added four more issues. The fact is, Father, we must be characterized by gentleness and humility and patience and love. Father, we confess that these things aren't always obvious in our life. Sometimes without realizing it, Lord, and sometimes even with realizing it, we've knowingly given over to selfishness and pride and arrogance. Father, these things ought not be named among us. I pray that you'd give us victory over, over those sins. I pray, Lord, that you would help us, strengthen us, encourage us, Lord, to be gentle, to be humble, to be patient, and to be loving. We pray in your son's precious name. Amen.